Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is usually not longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. With this episode, you know, I, I've been facing a lot of um, angst and stress about the giant weight of my huge amount of legacy UI code in my app. Um, because, you know, my app, you know, it's eight years old now. And, you know, over that time, we've had both Swift itself and then later Swift UI come out in addition to just huge advances in UIKit under the hood. Um, and, you know, if I stay with UIKit, huge advances there um, in the meantime. And so I have all this huge mountain of legacy code in my app that uh, gives me a lot of stress and and makes it hard for me to make changes and move forward and, and update the design and things like that. And so I have thought for a while, man, wouldn't it be nice to just start clean and, and do a whole, like, clean fresh fresh start and rewrite the entire ui and that's usually a terrible idea because you know it's it's akin to you know a large rewrite of your app and so usually i've talked myself out of that because it just seems like this impossible mountain to climb and a few weeks ago you mentioned an an interesting alternative that you said why don't you just start building it and make just like this fork in the app code and either when you're ready or, you know, like maybe only on only on like the latest iOS version or whatever it is in certain test modes, whatever it is, when you're ready, just switch over to that UI like conditionally and still have all the old code there in the app for when it's not running in that mode or under those conditions. And I thought it's one of those things like a programmer first hears that and like that's a terrible idea, you know, maintenance, et cetera. And then it starts infecting your brain a little bit. And you've done this to me before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's It's one of those like ruthlessly efficient and pragmatic things that you introduced to my to my thought technologies that sure. i would originally think like when you first told me that you stored your git checkouts for your macs in dropbox yeah i thought that was the craziest thing i'd ever heard and then i'm like wait a minute but then you can work on it on the laptop and the desktop you don't have to like constantly be committing things just to transfer to a different computer like interesting <laughs> and so the idea of having an entirely separate ui branch it, within my app <laughs> That sounds ridiculous, and it sounds like like a like a very like impure thought to a programmer, you know. But the more I think about it, the more I think I actually might do that, and I want to actually talk about it. I, I want to actually get your you know get more more input on that from you, and kind of let's let's elaborate on that and see like what what does that look like? Why would you do such a thing? And are you doing such a thing? And you know, in any recent stuff. I'm glad. I'm glad it was an interesting thought to you. And I think it's it is definitely an approach that I've taken before. And I think it is one of those things that is certainly not the case for everything. That typically, I suppose, the, the way that we evolve our apps is this kind of incremental, you know, replacing one bit. Of, it's a sort of becomes sort of the ship of Theseus or whatever, where it's just like you keep changing one little bit at, at a time, and eventually you end up with something new. But over the course of that, that 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 progression, that change, you know, no at, at no point was there this hard change from one thing to the other. And I think that approach has a lot of merit, but it also means that you're always tied to the past. You're always tied to your old way of doing things, and you have to kind of be balancing all of these things while you're moving forward. Because you're also, it's kind of like the, um, it's you know, it's, one of my favorite gifts is I think it's it's uh, in, from Wallace and Gromit, where Gromit is building the train track in front of his like toy train as he's riding it, and it's like he's just constantly building just that little bit in front of him as he goes, and 
that that approach means that you always have to have that sense of urgency, like you're kind of in this weird incremental process that you're building things, but you're building things that are alive and in active use. And so if anything goes wrong, like bad things will happen. And so instead, taking the approach of saying, you know what, I'm going to completely start from zero, essentially, and not it's not zero insofar as well, it's zero code, it's not zero in terms of experience, in terms of expectation, you know, how the app should work, you know what it should do, you have something to compare it to. And but free yourself from trying to have this be an incremental thing and instead do a complete rewrite. And for me, the first place I had this sort of a big version of this was back when SwiftUI was introduced to watchOS. So previous to the SwiftUI's introduction to watchOS, um, we had WatchKit, which was awful and really rough to use and not fun at all and didn't, didn't allow a lot of cool, interesting, and fluid UIs that you might want to build. But then out comes SwiftUI, but it requires watchOS 6. And so I felt in this really awkward place because I didn't want to feel like I didn't, I couldn't re require watchOS 6 right off the bat. Because if I did, especially with the watch, it creates this really weird experience where the app just gets uninstalled from the watch and weird things start happening. And so I needed to keep my deployment target, you know, sort of generous. But I still wanted to use SwiftUI. And so what I ended up doing with that app is I just wrote, you know, left the WatchKit version of the app entirely as it was. Like, it's like frozen in Carbonite. It is just right there. And then on the Swift, then just have built out the SwiftUI app that I'd always wanted to build that I thought was great. And I went and built that. And then in essentially the app delegate, when the app is being run, like which entry point the app got was just based on are you running watchOS 6? Great, you get this one. If you're watching watchOS 5 or before, you get the the old version. And I, when I did this, I mean, in some ways it was forced because I wanted to use SwiftUI so soon to sort of go down this road. And I was curious to see what the result would be because inevitably what I was doing was I was creating a situation where there were going to be people who, you know, would see in the screenshot some of the stuff that was there for the SwiftUI version in the App Store or there's maybe... A, if you're a friend of theirs or a spouse, whatever, they see someone else who has the app and they like, why doesn't my app look like that? And I was bracing for that to be an annoyance and a customer service issue and creating confusion. And I think in reality, A, it just happens much less often because for most people, their experience of, you know, it's like very often people are more likely to be upset by just any change than they are by um, the app just staying the same as it was before. And if anyone is running the old version, they're getting exactly the same experience that they're used to that's been there forever. Um, and then the new people, hopefully their experience is positive. And I got a little bit of people who are confused as to like, why don't I get this, you know, this cool graph or the, the nice animations or any of the features that were in there. Um, but by and large, that didn't happen. And I really liked it. It, just, it was a really pleasant way to develop because I was building the app when we're first writing an app, I feel like one of the hardest things is we don't know what the app is ultimately going to look like, what it's ultimately going to do, how to structure it, how to build it. And that is just inherent to the initial creation that we, you know, we build an app and then it's going to go through iteration and refinement and get feedback from people and, you know, sort of interact with the real world in a way that informs us on how the app should actually work in practice. And so rewriting it in this case when i was rewriting like the pedometer plus plus uh watch kit app it's like the second app was actually what people wanted was actually what people used was much better did was much more performant did all the things right and i was glad to be able to kind of do this kind of like hard fork approach um 
and I think it's in having that had that experience, I've sort of opened myself to this in a lot more contexts where, and I think in general, it's a way to deal with iOS versioning is probably the main place to do this. Just like in your case, I think taking the approach of saying, well, even though you don't strictly need to say, I'm going to re I'm going to remake the, you know, the main UI in um, Overcast in Swift UI, but I'm going to target iOS 16's version of Swift UI and only do that. And while technically you could go, I think, all the way back to iOS 13, I think, with Swift UI, like if you go back farther, if you the farther you go back, the more complicated it is to deal with compatibility, with issues, with Swift UI rendering differently in two different ways. If you go with the latest and greatest, like once the sort of initial builds and beta stuff gets out of the way, like you'll be on a much more stable, much more smooth ground going forward. And then at some point, yeah, you just turn that on and depending on how different you make the app, many people may not even notice, but either way, you're in this really nice, clean place that you have this beautiful, clean bit of code. It's all Swift. It's all modern. It uses all the great, latest and greatest. And then over time, the old version just kind of falls away. And if, you know, if you're gating it based on iOS version, eventually you'll stop supporting iOS 15. And when you do that, the old version just dis disappears from the app and will never be used again. That fork will die and you're just sort of living on the new fork. And yeah, it's it's a little crazy. It's a little wild. I understand why some people that's like would would think that it's a bit of a, a weird way to go. But I gotta say, I really liked it, and it's it's worked well for me in the past. And it's like I'm gonna keep using this pattern. I think going forward for other projects that I'm working on um, this summer. Yeah, that's that's really it's a very very interesting way to to look at things. I mean, geez, it's a very pragmatic way as as you are so good at at introducing to to my thoughts. Um, I want to do something like this in theory. In practice, I'm not sure I will be able to go through with it. I mean, so when I when I did the same transition on watchOS that you were just talking about, you know, when SwiftUI came out and replaced the god awful uh, watch kit, um, I was very I was reluctant to do that at first, and I talked to you about it, and you basically told me just write write it from scratch, write it fresh, see how long it takes, and it ended up taking not that long, and I I didn't regret that decision at all. It was great. The outcome was great. That has been like a thorn in my mind <laughs> for, for ever since then because when I, when I think about doing it on the iOS app, which is a much larger task uh, because there's so much more UI there and, and it's more complicated. But when, when I think about doing it there, the, my first thought is, no, I, I, I shouldn't do that because it'll, it won't work out. It'll take forever. I'll regret it. And then that damn watch app, I, I realized like, but it worked really well there. Yeah, <laughs> and I and that's I, that keeps being this like this like exception in my mind. Like, but but look over here, it worked, and and you didn't regret it, and it was great. So that's that's what it, what has kept this kind of spark burning in my mind. Like, maybe I should actually do this. It's tough because Swift UI is is still it still feels like you're using beta one of the framework. You know, and right now, you know, using the iOS 16 stuff, it actually is very much still early beta in, in certain ways, and there's still some frustrating bugs. Uh, but Swift UI in general still feels very beta to me, so it's hard for me to get very far with Swift UI on iOS. You know, on WatchOS, it, it's easy because it's simple. Like the the needs of navigation and view complexity and stuff on WatchOS are so much lower than on iOS because it's just such a simpler platform. Um, but on on iOS. There are certain expectations of how things should work, how things should behave, how things should look, the kind of customization people expect. And that's just really hard in, in certain ways with SwiftUI. You hit a lot more walls. You hit them more frequently, and you hit them harder. Uh, and 
so it, I, I feel like while the transition on watchOS was relatively smooth, the transition on iOS probably is less so. And at the same time, if I'm going to do a big rewrite like this, you know, because again, like I have two problems. I have, well, three, really. I'm using old versions of UIKit, and there are newer things in UIKit that can make things simpler. I'm using still mostly Objective-C, and I want to make most of that or all of it Swift. And I'm not using Swift UI, and that's clearly what Apple is pushing as like the way we should be doing things. So I need to move to Swift UI. So ideally, if I'm going to do this big rewrite, given how long it takes me to adopt new things, I want, this is the kind of thing I want to do it once for a very long time. I don't want to just jump to Swift with UIKit if I can go right to Swift UI. And then that, I think, will buy me more time with this new platform down the road, and I'll be able to do certain things faster and more efficiently. It's just the, the matter of when I hit those walls, like, and how many walls do I hit? And, I mean, so far I'm hitting a lot of them. But part of that's because I, you know, I don't know it as well. Sure. You know, Swift UI is more complicated. I'm, I also have to deal with the fact that Swift UI has to access state and changes in certain ways and my underlying model layers are still mostly objective c like i have some swift in there um some like you know kind of swift shims on top of it to make swift ui possible but most of that is still not swift and so uh, and certainly not swift ui and, and you know not like the you know the combined you know publishable kind of kind of models that swift ui works on so if I'm going to go on on Swift UI, I also have to do a whole bunch of that lower level changing and 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 up you know bringing things up to, up to date at the lower levels and simplifying certain things, rewriting certain things, or putting shims on top of them. So there's there's a lot more work to do for me to do this, and so the risk is much greater. Um, but yet, I still feel like I probably should do it anyway because I I still feel all this weight of this old code and it holds me back and it makes me. I get this like brain freeze. Like it's hard for me to even work on my app right now because I'm blocked by so many of these things that, you know, and, and I, if I can just like unfreeze my brain and plow through it, like I feel like I need something to, to do that. And, and maybe this giant modernization project is that, but I don't know. It seems like a tall order. Uh, we are brought to you this episode by source graph. So you've hired a brilliant developer. That's great. Now you have to get them onboarded. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers is a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges is to getting new hires up to speed with their team's project. This can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working in are already very large. So thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move quickly, even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it's findable. Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those who need it? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing documentation that may be out of date, which is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier, and today they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top tech companies, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and Atlassian. 
Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. Or to click the link in the show notes to let them know that you heard about them from us. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I think that there's two things that I really come to mind as it's like I, as you unpack kind of the, the resistances or the issues that you feel like you're, you're coming up against. And it's like I think the first one is there's the reality that if we never changed our apps at all, like if you just left the version that, that you have right now in the app store, the amount of time that it would be that that would just work fine and be great for most of your users is surprisingly long. Um, is something that barring potentially like weird, I, you know, there's a new screen size such that some, you know, the, the app gets letterboxed if it isn't rebuilt or something like that, which is relatively easy to fix. Like, it's a weird thing to think that you know, that really old code could just exist for a long time. And I think accepting that, accepting that that old code isn't necessarily bad or needs to be changed or modernized and kept kept current is freeing in this way that I think viewing it that you have this ability to draw a boundary around where the new stuff is going to go and the old stuff is just working like it always has been and it always will be and that this new version is different and distinct from it and i think for me it would be the freedom of being able to say that the old version is fine and if that's like i don't well you, you in theory you think oh i don't i don't want to have to maintain both versions of my app you know now, now it's like now i have two two things to manage it's like the re, that's technically true but in in practice in reality I think isn't actually what happens in practice, that more often than not, the old stuff is mostly fine and it won't actually cause problems or issues for you um, because that's just the reality that like, you know, if one of the best things about being um, an independent developer is when I go on vacation and I'll go away for a couple of, you know, it's like go away for two weeks, come back and everything's still the same as it was. Everything's still <laughs> working. Like it's it's not like servers. It's not like something where you have this, there's this sense of this active energy has to be poured into the system in order to keep it going. That in, you know, an app that is in a good stable place that isn't full of, you know, full of bugs or something like that. Like once it reaches the, that sort of this, this equilibrium point, it can sit there for a very long time. And I think the other thing that really just sort of popped into my head was the thought that, something like swift ui and something like a, a rewrite is also an opportunity to change the way that you um are, are approaching things and to not just modernize your code but also to modernize your thinking your structure um the way that you're building things and i can say from my own experience having built you know, a lot of apps now in Swift UI. I mean, you know, Widget Smith is essentially entirely Swift UI with a few, you know, UI kit hooks here and there where I have to go into a low-level thing, for, you know, to hook into a system something or things like that. But the, you know, the, the main structure of the app, everything like that, is is is, is Swift UI. Is th when I first started building in Swift UI, I was building a UI kit app in Swift UI, and as a result, I hit lots of sort of walls and felt like I was constantly bumping into the edges that I kept saying, oh, this is how I would do it, or this is what I would, how I would structure my code, or this is what it would look like if in UIKit. How do I do that in SwiftUI? And in a weird way, it almost like the, 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 the thought, the, the image that comes into my mind is to think of like water flowing down a hill where when the water flows down a hill, 
it will encounter resistance. It'll, you know, smash into a rock or hit, run into, a, a, you know, a bank or something. And all it does is it just, it just, gen- just gently turns and follows to the side and will just keep finding the easy path until it gets all the way to the bottom. And I think once I, it was a bit zen to say, but like once my Swift UI development became like flowing like water down a hill, everything got a lot easier where if I find, if I hit, if I start to encounter resistance, I think to my, rather than like, Ooh, this is Swift UI being annoying and getting in my way. I start to think, huh, am I doing this the way that I should? Am I, is this, is this a symptom of me not using Swift UI in the way it, it is best used? And most often that was the case. How could I change it to flow with Swift UI in the way that it's expecting and get back into its path? And as soon as like very few times in, in, the development of you know of Widgetsmith, which is a very complicated, large app with all kinds of features and a very wide user base, there was a solution that was more Swift UI-ish and got me to where I wanted to go. And sometimes that means that feature doesn't quite look the way that it could on UIKit or the way that um, I may have initially imagined it to look, but I can get to a place that is reasonable, that is workable, um, that very often is very clean from a code perspective um, and ends up being you know, really good. Like I'm a huge fan of, you know, Swift UI. And now when I go back and have to do some work in UI kit, I just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm coding with oven mitts on. And so that transition is difficult and not something that is, is right away, but it was certainly something that I've found that, ha- and especially having the freedom to be all Swift UI rather than cobbling something together where you're like, oh, I'm going to replace just this table view cell in Swift UI, or I'm just going to sort of start shimming things in here and there, made it really hard to get full Swift UI and get all of the benefits and all of the ex- sort of the velocity that that in- in- enables. Um, and if you, and so like without that velocity, then what's the point? Just stick with what you have and just like, you know, sort of hope, hope that that lasts for long enough that you can, uh, you know, at, at, at some point you will stop needing to maintain overcast, whatever that is in 10 years, 15 years, and just like write it into the ground. But like, otherwise to modernize it, you really have to just sort of embrace that future in that way. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, you know, you mentioned like all the, the shimming and everything. If you try to do like a, a piecemeal approach and I've, I've been running into that all the time. I mean, I, you know, when when I was doing my my you know first phase of my big redesign uh, over the last you know, six months or whatever it was, oh, more than that, geez, almost a year. <laughs> um, when I was doing that, you know, I, I made the decision. And I talked about it on the show that I was things that were already Objective C. Like if I, if I was working within a view controller, if that view controller was already Objective C, I wasn't going to rewrite it in Swift. Yeah, so I, I did a lot of that work in Objective C, and that actually held me back a lot, and it made certain things harder, as many of the APIs are decreasingly designed for objective c <laughs> and sure. i actually i think i think that was the wrong decision in retrospect while it brought the design forward it didn't bring any of the code forward and and it didn't it didn't decrease my technical debt in this way all it, it actually increased it if anything and it made certain parts of the iteration process which is most of what design is most of its iteration you know it, it doesn't take me six months to write you know, a few theme changes to a view controller. It takes me six months to try all the different things I have in mind and see what works. If I was going to do more of this design work, which is what I'm trying to tackle now, like with the now playing screen and the podcast screen, I am not going to make that same choice that way. Like now I want to rewrite those screens completely. And another major thing, my app has not yet used the new Swift async stuff yet. 
and I just I actually just had to add that um, to this CloudKit code because they deprecated some of the old CloudKit methods already, <laughs> and um, and so I had to start using that. And like that's another thing where if your app is not made with all the async stuff in mind, that's another huge migration that can, over time needs to happen. My current thinking is that leaving things that were already you know the old way you know Objective C UI Kit leaving things that way if they already were was a mistake. I I now regret that. And I now think that I, I want to do any future work in this kind of clean start kind of way. And that's going to take a long time. But I think I think you're right, though, that the app overall, like the UI and everything is very stable. And I don't really need to rush to do something quickly right now. I, like I, I should probably be taking the time to do it right and to, to pay down this technical debt in, in a way that will allow me to to work better in the future even if that means basically a rewrite of most of the UI. And I think, too, the end result of that is that it is a a wonderful thing in the current sort of environment as an iOS developer to be an expert at Swift and SwiftUI. That that is the skill set that going forward is going to be clearly like that. That's where the energy is going from Apple's perspective. That's where they, as a community, things are going. And the quicker you can get yourself into that place where you can code in Swift UI just as well as you used to be able as you could in UI Kit, it's setting yourself up for opportunity and success in the future. And yes, yeah, like I worry that if if you take the approach of kind of doing it more piecemeal and kind of trying to carry around the old code and doing it as you go, is you're never going to be able to be free of the past such that you're going to be able to really embrace the future and like to be able to really build things in the way that at some point you're going to have an idea for another app inevitably i mean that's just just at least if you're anything like me and i think you know you've (laughs) you've built a couple things over the over the years so so like those ideas will come and SwiftUI is great for rapid prototyping for quicking you know for quickly exploring ideas or even if you have an idea for a new feature in in Overcast, and it's like, you know, you decide you're going to add a stats area to sh- show people their, you know, listening history over time, say, and you want to use, you know, Swift graph, Swift charts for this, or whatever that might be. Like, the farther the app is in that direction to accept that kind of those new ideas, I think will just allow you to, you know, sort of to be in this in this fresh space. And I think that's why I then sort of that's why I was sort of initially thinking of sort of nudging you in this direction and and encouraging you to avoid. Yeah, feeling the weight of you say have, carrying around all this technical debt and having it feel like weight, rather than just saying, you know what, the code is fine, it works great. I'm going to partition it here. I'm going to start this new thing. You, I know you know exactly what you're building in terms of it's not an exploration, so you're not going to waste a lot of time there. And I would be very surprised if you just sort of sat down and worked diligently on it. That if you weren't able to build the vast majority of Overcast again much more quickly in, you know, in a matter of a few weeks that you could have a basically working rebuilt version of it. And then obviously you'll have the, the actual refinement of that and filling it out will take some extra time, but at least spending that initial time to say like, I'm going to rebuild the now playing screen in Swift UI and seeing how long that takes and seeing what that looks like as a sort of a clean rewrite, I think would be a really instructive time and certainly something that would be well spent to, to, to sort of to see where that goes and if it does work then great and it's just like the now playing screen if you're on whatever on ios 16 is just different than the old one and that's fine and that works great and i don't think anyone would uh n- notice or if they did it wouldn't hopefully be noticing it in a, in a positive sense 
It's funny you mentioned that because that's literally what I tried to do over the last few days was the now playing screen. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I throw and I, I that was my first thought. Oh, let me do this with Swift UI. However, I ran into a wall immediately, which is that the now playing screen, the same view controller is operating both when it is minimized to the toolbar and when it is fully expanded. It's the same view controller, it's the same views that that like shrink down and you know join their their new positions down below. Um, and, and it's an interactive transition. And so I could not for the life of me figure out how to do that without everything else being SwiftUI around it. That's when I started getting into, oh, let me try SwiftUI navigation stuff. It's new in iOS 16. And I just slammed into so many walls doing that. Sure. And what seemed like bugs and limitations. And I just, oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't break through. I couldn't make it happen. And so I, I, I just gave up and, and I was, you know, you know, I'm just going to go for a dog walk and have dinner with my family and think about what, what I'm doing with my life. Sure. <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe it didn't have to be that way. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's a way to do this piecemeal, but I think it's going to be much easier to do it all at once. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, and I think you're going to encounter so many of those things get easier when it's all one or it's all the other. Um, and if you know, only dropping down to UI kit when you absolutely have to, I think you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do a lot, do go a long way to making this work. And I mean, the reality is, is if, if in the end you decide you don't like it and you go down this road for a, a you know, for, for a couple of weeks and you decide, you know what, this isn't for me, it's like, then you're, you've gotten several weeks of experience doing SwiftUI work, which is making you a better SwiftUI developer, which is definitely helpful. And you're no worse off. Like you can go back and sort of think about it, take a different approach later. Because the nice thing about a, a hard fork is you're not like breaking the old version in the process. You're just completely clean and separate. And it's a nice, straightforward path forward as a result. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.